Welcome, listeners. I'm Justin Makarevich, Associate Director of Employer Relations at the Graduate Career Management Center of the Zicklin School of Business at Baruch College. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Welcome, everybody. It is June 6, 2022. Happy summer to everybody. Um, really eager about um, this podcast episode, speaking with our, um, our alum, Eric Pliner, who's also CEO of YLC Consulting. Um, and Eric also just wrote a book called Difficult Decisions, How Leaders Make the Right Call with Insight, Integrity, and Empathy. Uh, and so really wel- uh, want to welcome you, Eric, to, uh, to this episode. And thank you so much for, for making the time. Thanks for having me, Justin. Pleased to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And so before we sort of jump in and talk about um, the book and, and your ideas and, the, and sort of the, the points of the book, and, and especially for students, how they can apply them to, to, to their careers even early on, we'd love to hear about, um, about you, Eric. I think all of our listeners, our students, definitely our alums, we want to know about your background, um, your career journey. So if you could just take us through that, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. I, uh, I started my career in the public sector worked for the government of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts in the Department of Education and uh, moved to New York 22 years ago and pursued a career in nonprofits and government, which is where my heart was. I was motivated by the idea of, uh, of having impact. And I thought that meant working in any sector except the private sector. And at <laughs> some point along the way, I realized how backwards that was. And yeah. I, uh, I was a late in life MBA student finished my MBA at, at Zicklin in uh, 2010 and That's went wild. to work right afterwards uh, as an entry-level consultant at YSC Consulting and uh, fell in love with it, turned out to be pretty good at it, and skipping over a few things in the middle, eight and a half years later, found myself as the chief executive of the firm, and I have been the CEO of YSC, uh, which is a 32-year-old British uh, leadership and human capital consultancy focused on leadership strategy for the yeah. last three years. Phenomenal. Congrats on all about that. My gosh. Thank you. Jumping into, um, into sort of the book and before we get into sort of even in deeper in that, give us some context about why you decided to write this book um, and, uh, and, and, and what, what motivated you to, to get that going. Yeah. Um, I, I get the opportunity to work with leaders in lots of companies, lots of sectors, lots of industries all over mm-hmm. the world. And again, had done that in the public sector for a long time before moving into the private sector to do it. And one of the things that I saw that was consistent was that no matter where they worked or what they did, leaders were finding it harder and harder to deal with big questions that weren't necessarily about the content of their day-to-day jobs. Hmm. They'd been trained in how to do great analytics. They'd been trained in even how to use their intuition or their emotional intelligence. They'd been trained in the basics of all of the things that we learn and talk about in business school. And even with all of that training and all of their life experience, they were having to grapple with really hard human questions about things that affected real people's real lives in major ways, social change, how to manage a pandemic, Hmm. what to do when a war breaks out that affects a part of their company or their supply chain. And they felt woefully underprepared to know how to confront those really complex questions. Mm-hmm. I wanted to think about what are the ways that we can prepare ourselves personally ahead of whatever that next tough question will be, because it's going to come. Uh, we have no idea what it is yet. And so we can't prepare for the content, 
but maybe we can prepare ourselves for a little bit more about how to be ready for whatever is on the road. Right. Wow. So, it, it, and, and from what I understand from the book, there's this, there's this confluence of, of morals, ethics, and then expectation from stakeholders, whoever there might be, that, that come into play for executives when they make decisions. Um, yeah, you describe in your book. Can you can you can you give a little bit more detail about um, about those three things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of times people conflate morals and ethics. Something is moral, mm. something is ethical. But what I wanted to tease out was the idea that we individually have a sense of morality of what's right and what's wrong, and that mm. comes from somewhere. We don't all agree about what's moral and what's immoral or immoral. But we all have our own ideas about right and wrong and knowing where that comes from. Does it come from your family, from your faith, from your community, from your education, some combination of all of those, knowing where it comes from and understanding how that affects the way that we see the world is a really good tool for leaders who are suddenly confronting a difficult decision. Not just right. leaders, no matter what stage of life or career that we're at, um, starting by understanding where we get our ideas about right and wrong is really important. Yeah. Ethics are a little different. Ethics are about what collectively we consider to be helpful or harmful. So if morality is about looking inward, something that is internally determined, but externally applied, ethics are the inverse of that. They're externally determined and internally applied. You can't have an ethical code all by yourself. It's always in, in combination with other people. And our ethical context has changed dramatically over time. What's right. acceptable or possible or even important at work looks really different than it did 10 years ago and 10 years before that and so on. And then when you combine those things with the idea that no matter what job you hold, you have stakeholders, you have responsibilities to certain people who expect something from you. And so what do you do when any of those two dimensions come into conflict? When what I believe about right and wrong conflicts with what my stakeholders expect me to do in my job or with what my company thinks is helpful conflicts with my personal belief about right and wrong. Um, mm -hmm. You can take any two of those dimensions and find examples of ways that they come into conflict with one another. And the principle of the book is when that happens, look to the third dimension as a way of figuring out a way forward. Which kind of suggests also this idea, which I'm getting that right, where there's no right answer for a decision. There's no yeah. right way for a decision because they're made by people and humans, and they're driven by these three things that you just described, right? That is, that is exactly the point. And it's one of the hardest things about increasing your, your level of responsibility and your level of leadership in your career. That is that the further you go, the harder it is to make everyone happy. There is no <laughs> right decision. And whatever right. you choose is going to make some people happy, and it's going to upset other people. And we have to be okay with that. But rather than thinking about what's going to make the most people happiest, we have to think mm -hmm. about what's going to what's going to result in the most help and cause the least harm in terms of how we move forward together. Leadership, again, no matter what your level is, leadership is always interpersonal. And so mm -hmm. thinking about what does my view of the world have to do with other people's views of the world? Where do those align? Where do they not? And how do I move forward knowing that we'll never really know if we made the right choice or not, but we have to figure out the best choice to move ahead. Can you, this tremendous um, 
insight specifically, I think it's just applicable, like you're saying to everybody. Could you share one of the, um, you know, one quick example from the book um, of, of, uh, of the CEOs, making of a CEO, making tough choices? Yeah, sure. I, I had the opportunity to interview a number of CEOs who I've, I've worked with, not just private sector CEOs, but leaders in lots of different contexts. Mm. And Patrice Louvet, who is the CEO of Ralph Lauren uh, and mm. someone I've worked with for the last five years, tells the story of at the beginning of the COVID period, uh, the Ralph Lauren Corporation looking very carefully at what they needed to do to be able to keep the company alive and thriving at a moment when all of a sudden most of their customers weren't buying anymore. They made mm. some really smart choices about what were some operational things they could do. How could they drive efficiencies? How could they stick to their values and their morals to what's important, uh, both to Ralph the man and the legacy that he's built and to the leaders and people of the company? And eventually they got to a point where they realized they were going to have to furlough or lay off a significant number of their employees or risk the possibility that maybe the company wouldn't still exist, depending right. on how, how long the COVID period lasted. Mm -hmm. and so they went through the very difficult process. They, they stopped taking salaries. They stopped, uh, they stopped all kinds of extraneous spending. But in the end, they ended up having to furlough 80% of their workforce. Wow. That was a massive decision massive. and not one that they took. Yeah. Not one that they took lightly at all because they were clear, like this is going to affect real people's real lives. And they thought a lot about how they did it. And they made a choice that was about hopefully re-engaging their employees for the long run on the other side. And in fact, when they were able to do that, more than 75% of their employees who had been furloughed returned to work for Ralph Lauren on the other side, not because they didn't have other career opportunities, right. but because they were really proud to be a, a part of a company that was so transparent, so thoughtful, and so caring in the way that they managed to support their people during some of the toughest times of their lives. That's tremendous. I mean, talk about different ways of impact. And I didn't even know that story. Um, yeah. That's that's really amazing. Yeah. I, I, I want to <clears throat> sort of switch gears and, and start to talk about for students and, and maybe recent alums um, and where they are in their careers and kind of getting a sense of for people that are, you know, early in their journeys and many of our MBAs, you know, are, are you know, they, they definitely are, uh, you know, more experienced. Yeah. You definitely have some students who are, who are early in the journey. You know, how does this framework apply for them um, when, when really they're just sort of starting in a, in a potential management role, maybe overseeing some people having to make decisions that on their own? Does that apply? Um, you know, you don't have to be a CEO to be grappling with these kind of difficult personal decisions. Yeah. I think we're at an interesting moment where the psychological contract between employees and the organizations that employ us has changed. Suddenly, we're realizing that there's a much wider range of ways of working, whether it's working from home, working hybrid, working remotely, working back to office. The combination of ways of working suddenly looks a lot different than it did prior to the COVID period. And so that means that each of us makes a choice to go back to work every day. It's a choice every day to stay with our employer. There are lots of opportunities for, for people uh, who, who, not just people with business degrees, but certainly 
for people with business degrees, more so than there were even a few years ago. And so whatever stage of career we're at, we have the opportunity to evaluate prospective employers based not only on what they say is important to them, but the way that they treat their employees, the way that they behave in the world, the way that they engage with their suppliers, with the media, with their customers. And we can start to evaluate that even before we start to make the decision to work there. Mm -hmm. We can say, um, this is a thing I feel really good about. I want to join this place. Maybe they're paying me a little bit less than these other people are offering me, but I feel like this is a place I want to spend the next couple of years of my life because what this company stands for and will not stand for aligns to what I stand for, what I believe in. This is a place I want to be a part of. That's a right. big change. It's a big change. It's always been there, but the power sits with the employee at this moment in a way that it hasn't in, in recent history. Right. And, 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 and what about also the context sort of, of the, the functional work that individuals do at their jobs and then making decisions as well? Um, yeah. You know, because the relationships also with, with your coworkers, with your bosses, et cetera, you know, how, how does this also impact um, a person thinking in that framework? Yeah. I mean, we all have to make choices in our jobs. And mm-hmm. most of them, most of the time, most of those choices can seem pretty straightforward. But nobody thinks they're a, they're a bad guy. Part of what I talk about in the book is that no no one thinks they're a villain in the story. So if a colleague or a boss asks you to do something that you think, gosh, I don't know if I believe that's right. And I'll give you a real example here. Uh, yeah. Somebody says, listen, I know these numbers aren't exactly what we're going to end up reporting, but it's going to make a really big difference if we share a rounded version of these It'll make our story a little bit stronger. It'll buy us a couple of months before we have to report out the final numbers. So I think we can probably smooth them out a little bit. It's going to make a lot of people's lives a lot easier. It's going to—it's not dishonest. It's just a little bit of smoothing at the margins. Um, you know, I don't think the person who's making that request thinks that they're asking you to do something wrong. But you might believe, hang on a second, that violates the code of ethics of my profession. It violates my personal morality. How do I reconcile? I don't want to make my boss mad. I don't want to seem insubordinate, but I also want to do the right thing here. That's mm. a moment where we have to make a difficult decision. What do right. I do right now? Do How do I respond in a way that's not about calling somebody out, but that's about driving the kind of behavior that I believe is appropriate for myself as a professional, for my role in the workplace, for who I want to be and for the work I want to do. And we've got to make those kind of choices every day. This yeah. is a part of the framework behind difficult decisions. And, and so I guess one question could be, you know, how could this go wrong for an individual, yeah. right? Especially for somebody in an early stage of career, but really at, at any stage, you know, what, what, what's, are there ways to stop it from going, quote unquote, wrong? Yeah. Um, <laughs> if we continue to say, well, I think this is immoral and therefore I don't want to do it, you know, that's a card you get to play probably once, maybe more, maybe, maybe more than once, but not much more than once before your employer says, I'm not sure that you're the right fit for this organization. Right. We have to be really thoughtful all the time about the choices that we make. And when we decide to, uh, to say, actually, this is something that completely violates the core of who I am. Otherwise, the perception is that you're, you're weaponizing your morality. You're calling everybody mm. else wrong. When in fact, again, this is why I, I push people to think about where did you get your ideas about right and wrong? 
And how do you align yourself to a workplace that feels like it fits with that so you're not constantly coming up against that kind of conflict? But it can go wrong if you keep saying to your boss, to your coworkers, to others in the organization, uh, this just completely conflicts with my worldview. Well, at some point they're going to say to you, well, maybe you need to take your worldview somewhere else. They might be right, <laughs> but you might also want to be employed. And that's why, uh, well, that's why doing that investigation up front is such an important part of thinking about your own career journey. Yeah. You talked a little bit about role and job. Yeah. Um, Love for you to dif- sort of differentiate those. Like, is there a difference between a role and a job for um, for individuals that are you know at, 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 in the workplace? Yeah, uh, you know, I think about your job as the assigned res- the aggregation of the assigned responsibilities, what <laughs> you have to do, the tasks for which you're responsible. Your role is a mix of your job and your interactions with other people. There's not just the role, the functional role that you play in delivering an agenda, but you also play a socio-emotional or psychodynamic role on the team. I don't mean that to sound jargony, but mm. may, maybe you're the, the supportive cheerleader. Maybe you're the skeptic, the person who points out errors in our thinking. Maybe you're the person who, who rallies and motivates other people to be able to achieve something together. Maybe you're a brilliant collaborator, and maybe mm. the role that you play changes depending on which team you're sitting in at any given moment or based on what else is going on in your life. Understanding your job is only half of your responsibility, but understanding your role, not just what you do, but how you do it is really important in giving yourself a chance to progress your career. That's great. You know, one thing, and we're talking about things like morals and even the way in which you describe roles and so much of that is so personal. Like yeah. personal style, the way in which people um, really do the job or do the do do their their work, um, you know. And and I know that with YSCU, help clients also sort of assess um, assess their their strengths in, in in general. You know, can you talk a little bit? At, I know this isn't necessarily about difficult decisions, but in your work also the role and, and, and power of sort of assessment and knowledge of, of individuals about their strengths and, um, and, and what they bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sometimes people will say, why do we talk about any of this stuff at all? Like, can't we just do our jobs? <laughs> isn't, isn't this stuff personal? And I want to be, be a professional. Yeah. I think the right. distinction that I would make is the difference between what's public, what's personal and what's private. And so there's mm-hmm. private stuff that we don't ever need to talk about work. That's for you and your family and your sure. loved ones, you know, outside of work. But personal is a really important part of our work, how we relate to other people, how we collaborate with other people in a way that brings out our respective strengths, how we derail when somebody makes us angry. <laughs> um, yeah. What are the ways that, that our life experiences inform how we interact with others? And can we actually be intentional about that? Can yeah. we say, you know what, I want to be a little less edgy about this particular thing, or when this person makes me aggravated or pushes my buttons, I want to respond in a different way. Leadership strategy, what our firm does is about saying, how do we make intentional choices about our individual leadership styles, our dynamics and interactions, and the cultures that we create when we're all together? And so assessment is about deep understanding of you as an individual or you as a leader. Development is about how do you grow? How do you change? We're not trying to change you, who you are fundamentally, 
but yeah. help you to round out some of the sharper edges without losing the spike strength that make you who you are. How do you make more out of what you do well and get derailed a little bit less by the stuff that maybe isn't among your strengths? And so is that sort of a process then of almost forward-looking goal setting with the perspective of these are sort of the, from an assessment perspective, this is where sort of the baseline of where you are. Let's think about where you want to go um, and, and, and to create sort of an, an entire sort of image or, 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 or sort of power or, or, or strength from where people, where people start and where they want to go next. Yeah, it's absolutely about where you start and where you want to go next. And I would layer on top of that, it's about where your company is, where your organization exactly. is, and where it wants to go next. And what's the intersection of those two? So the company yeah. says, today we do X, but tomorrow we need to be able to do Y to survive in a competitive environment. And you, at whatever stage of your career that you're at, this is what you do really well. This is what you need to do even better to help take us into that future. And then these are the ways that you can plan to develop and grow yourself so that you can play a key role in setting up the, your, your team, your division, your function, or yeah. your organization for its next chapter. It's all about looking to the future, which is a big yeah. change in human capital. A lot of human capital businesses or human capital functions in businesses for a long time were about looking backwards. What worked well? How did people succeed? And how can we help people to succeed in those ways today? But the field has changed so that now we say, what do we need to be for the future? And how do we continue to be learners for our whole lives and careers so that we can always be ready for what's ahead? Yeah. And, and any thoughts, you know, off the top of your head, sort of, especially for in the context of students and, and MBAs, yeah. you know, where, where they could start, what's, what, what are some things they could start to do to do that in, you know, that introspection, that reflection, and to think about, um, to think about ways in which they can start to set those goals for their future in the context of, uh, of the way they also would like to do it um, in, you know, in their own style. Yeah. I think a lot of the stuff that many of us think of as peripheral uh, or as, as maybe a softer skill, so to speak, uh, yeah. seems like the stuff we just have to get through as a part of our, of our MBA education. But right. those, those skills are, absolutely essential in every single day of your working life, mm -hmm. no matter what you do and no matter where you work. They're not things you just have to get through. Um, they're things that are worth really paying attention to. What do you learn about yourself? What yeah. are the things, again, that push your buttons? I remember uh, in one of my, I think it was in my second semester at Zicklin, taking a negotiation course mm. and the very first day doing a, a, a model negotiation and feeling incredible incredibly irritated with my classmate who was assigned to negotiate opposite me, someone who I had known for, for uh, the first semester and gotten along with quite well, and spending some time thinking through, but why did it piss me off? Why did it irritate me? What, what does it tell me? Not about him. It doesn't matter if I think he's a good guy or a jerk. And by the way, I think he's a good guy. Um, but, but what do I learn about myself and how yeah. can that help me to be ready for other kinds of conflict like this that will happen in the workplace. Yeah. Paying attention to what gets you excited, what derails you, what gives you energy, what saps your energy. The more you know that stuff, and, and the MBA classroom is, a, is absolutely the place to start learning that about yourself, the yeah. better prepared you'll be for whatever your next career step is. 
all yeah. those group, group projects <laughs> that, that everybody agonizes over, you learn more from the process of the group project uh, as then then you do sometimes from the content of it, that process will prepare you and reflecting on that process will prepare you in a really important way for what's coming next. But of course, like you're saying again, right? It's 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 never ending. The process is it's, it's completely never ending in a career. Never ending. Eric, uh, this has been really a terrific conversation. I'm just wanting to make sure we haven't maybe um, maybe we haven't covered something that you still wanted to uh, to discuss or, or mention either about the book, um, about um, about the moral ethic and you know stakeholder expectation, about um, introspection, all of this. Anything that we haven't covered. Um, I, I'll, I'll share this, Justin. One of the first yeah. things I, I say in the book is uh, the first line of the book is that this book is wrong. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's not because I believed or my publisher believed that it was a good idea to put something out that was yeah. that was uh, clearly incorrect. But the context <laughs> that we operate in changes so fast that what we believe to be right is uh, doesn't mean there aren't facts in the world, but mm. what we believe to be right can shift very quickly with new information, with a new context. Mm. Anything that you can do to learn about yourself, to look inward, to, to constantly be surveying your environment, to look yeah. outward, and to be engaging meaningfully with your stakeholders, whoever they are, to look around, look inward, look outward, look around, make that process of learning a lifelong one, and you will find uh, all kinds of great things uh, making themselves available to you and lots of great opportunities to learn, grow, and to build your career as a professional, whatever field you're in. This is terrific, right? So as the world changes, we change, our decisions change, um, and we gotta, we need to take the time to, to stay on top of that for ourselves and the organizations and the people that we have in our lives. Eric, huge congratulations on your book, um, on, on writing it, and, uh, and so much, so many thanks for your support at Baruch as an alum and for taking the time to talk with us. Really appreciate everything. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Justin. Thanks so much. Thanks, listeners, for tuning into the GCMC podcast, where we look to get off-the-record thoughts and perspectives from individuals who have been hiring managers and in hiring positions in their careers. The GCMC is here for Zicklin MBA and MS students and alumni for their careers wherever they are, so be sure to stay in touch with us.